from The Village, a podcast by Women and Children First. I'm Dr. Gabrielle Morrissey, your host and the CEO of Women and Children First. We are primarily a domestic violence shelter and wraparound service for women who are seeking either to leave their abusive relationships with their children or needing some help with their relationship because they're really not sure whether it's healthy, unhealthy, or abusive. Now, abuse has lots of different parts to it, and coercive control is becoming criminalized in New South Wales, where we're located next year in 2024. So today, we're going to talk with uh, one of our staff members, Jenny Huxley, here at Women and Children First, who talks to just about every single woman that calls up and wants help. And you might have seen on social media, sometimes you'll see um, one of us say, call us, we're here to help, ask for Jenny. Or you might have seen it on a poster or heard it by word of mouth. But Jenny is a real person. Jenny is not a pseudonym. Jenny is Jenny. And she talks to all the women who need help and kind of finds a pathway for them, whether they need a shelter, whether they can stay at home safely, what kind of exit plan they need. So today we're going to talk about what is that? What does that process look like? And let's demystify it a little bit. So whether you're in a healthy relationship, whether you're not sure if your relationship is healthy, you might know someone that you're worried about being in an abusive relationship, but you're not quite sure because you can't quite put your finger on it. Is it abuse? So we're going to go through what is coercive control? What are the different types of abuse? And what does an exit plan look like? Just the, you know, what an exit plan looks like just in terms of the general preparation for women uh, thinking about leaving because it's not a healthy environment for them or their children. Voices from the Village is a community podcast where we highlight different voices, different perspectives on all the things, good and bad, and everything in between that women experience in life, in their relationships, in their community, as parents, and we invite you to listen. Join us. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you, Gabrielle. You are one of our staff members mm-hmm. who's been here quite a while, number of years. Nine years I've worked for Women and Children First. Incredible. We're going to tap into that experience in a minute. So your role here is intake and assessment manager. So from those words, you can kind of gather you're talking to women and some of them are coming in, but they're all being assessed for something, whatever help they're calling needing. What does your, a lot of people don't know what happens in a shelter or in DV, it's shrouded in a kind of secrecy. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for people who are curious and have no idea, what does your day look like on the job? Okay, well I get lots of calls during the day and they're not necessarily for accommodation. They might be for support. They might be women who have heard about our service and think they might have a problem. Mm -hmm. So they ring me to just feel out what their situation is and if what they think it is is in reality a problem. 
So I get lots of those calls, um, really, where I'm, I'm talking to women about what services we offer, and we have a, a very good service in that it's not just a homeless service, it is actually a domestic violence counselling service, and we have a family support, which means the diversity of clients that we can see and service and provide a service to is quite large, really, and the depth of our service. I mean, he's one of the better services, mm. just quietly, because I know I work for it. No bias or anything. No bias, <laughs> because we can provide support. Women who are tentative and are not sure about this situation, I can make referrals to them into our service just to talk to someone about their children and their, what's happening with their kids. Um, not even tapping on leaving or any of the more serious issues of domestic violence. So that's, that's, that's a big plus for a service that we have that depth. We've got that ability to be able to softly lead women through a process, not be behind them pushing them. Um, and, you know, every day I'm, I'm thinking of while I work here because I can do that with women, offer them the number of options. So my job would be basically to talk to them first and find out what their presenting issue is and what they're looking for. So I ask them to tell me what they see, why they've called, what they see they're looking for. And I talk to them about how we can help them. And if I can't, I'm very good at making referrals to other services, not just on in our area, but across Sydney, even across the country, really. Mm -hmm. So they get a lot of information about who to, where to next. Um, if we can't provide or allocate them to a caseworker immediately, they stay with me and they can ring and talk to me and I talk them through um, what are the next steps for mm -hmm. them personally. So sometimes they can mean I've got quite a few calls to make and I can't get back to everyone immediately, but I try to keep on top of it. Sometimes it's a big, yeah. big job. Yeah, you do. So for people that might think that the, the main profile of the woman that calls is someone who is in tears, in crisis, desperate for help, saying something like, you know, I should have called the police, he was choking me last night, I've been hit, I need help, what do I do? Is that the typical or is the typical something different or is there a typical? No, I don't like to say there's a typical because there's not. I think most women who call us, if they've had the situation you describe, mm. I'll say to women, you know you've got a problem, really. You might be denying it, but you know there's a problem if someone's assaulted you physically. I think the harder one for women to come to terms with and recognise they've got a problem is where there's been emotional, financial abuse um, because they don't see it happening. Mm. It's like a slow boil if you like you're in it and you don't really see that the demeaning of you each day means you feel less confident about yourself your appearance you know your ability to work your ability to parent that's all taken from you and it really needs someone like a service like us to say no you're doing fine it's not you it's him it's mm. his behavior that's affecting you 
the way you are at the moment, the depression, the anxiety is the situation you're living in. Um, and that will change if you change your circumstances or it has the possibility of changing. Yeah. So yes, I think the largest number of calls I probably get is in that second class of women who really are testing, I'm not sure, this is happening to me, what should I do? I certainly also get calls from women who have been assaulted, who might have been assaulted for years and have never reached out. And sometimes they say, well, I didn't realise there was a service that could help help me, which yeah. sort of surprises me because I think that there is a lot of information generally out there about domestic violence. But those clients are not as common because I think they're more likely to recognise the situation they're in than the other clients. Yeah. I suspect a lot of women think that if they call a service like ours, it means that they have to come out of denial, they have to move out, mm -hmm. uh, they have to move their children, they have to go to family court, mm -hmm. and this ball starts rolling that they can't control anymore mm -hmm. in a life where they have very little control, usually. Do you think women think that? Do you think they think, I don't want to call because that means I have to face the music or they're going to make me move out of my home and go into a shelter and I don't want to do that. So I, I'm just not going to get any, any support and I won't call. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think women do think calling us means I'm going to be forced to, to make a decision and move out and leave my kids. I can tell you, because I've been doing this a while, there are a lot of women I speak to yearly in some cases and about the same time and they ring and we talk through what's been happening and we talk about what tiny step they might make this time or what's keeping them locked into that relationship. And I always tell women, where it's not our job to push you out the door. You leave when you're ready, we're here for you, Please call us when you need us. I don't want them to feel we'll ever judge because you choose to stay or you go back to the relationship. We will always be there um, and provide the support, the referrals for women who ring our service. They will always get a response. Yeah. Yeah. So because you and I know for a certainty that abuse is far more than physical. In fact, physical is just one ingredient, mm -hmm. one level or expression of abuse. Can we go through some of the other different types of abuse and maybe you give us what your understanding of it is, what you'd like women to know about what it is or what you've heard mm -hmm. over the phone? Okay, so I guess one of the types of abuse that's not discussed that often is sexual abuse. You would, most people I think of sexual abuse think of it as being a stranger and certainly that is the case. But the majority of sexual abuse is actually in a relationship, women who know the person who's abusing them. And, and do they tell you that on the phone? Like when you're talking to somebody, will that come out in a conversation? No, it won't come out easily. I mm -hmm. think that they deny that it's actually abuse within a marriage. I think most women think it's something they have to put up with. They married him and whatever he wants, they've got to offer up. If he demands any sort of sexual 
um, favours, if you like. They have to provide it. And it's difficult to talk about because it's embarrassing, mm -hmm. I guess. So, And we should clarify right now that that's a myth. That's not true. Yeah. Women are not... They don't owe sex right. in a relationship or marriage whatsoever. Sex for sex in a marriage or relationship is a crime. It doesn't matter that you are married or not or a stranger. It is still a crime and you can say no. And if no is not accepted, then you can talk to a service like ours, a sexual assault service, or report it to the police. You have options. And again, it doesn't have to be physical restraint forcing somebody to have sex. It could be guilting them over and over yeah. or pressuring them or demeaning them if they don't, those kinds of examples. Yeah. Or asking them to have sex they don't want to have or sexual activities they don't want to partake in. So it can be very broad. But it is still a crime and can be reported. So, And I raise it because I think it's something that we don't talk about enough. I think a lot of women... Um, who've been in abusive relationships undergo a lot of pressure, sexual assault and sexual pressure in the relationship. And it's probably the last thing they talk about. Really. Yeah, and yet it has such a big impact on any future relationship yeah. too. Yeah. So we like to try to destigmatize it and address it because it is one of the most taboo levels, I think, mm -hmm. of abuse within a relationship. So what about emotional abuse? Well, emotional abuse is DV, Domestic Violence 101, because that's the starting point when your partner starts telling you what to dress, what you look like, I don't like your hair, you're not a good mother, um, you're always running late, um, you know, you're hopeless at work, you know, I could have done better, I could have married Gina and she would have been a better wife. You know, any level of um, in, indignity will be thrown at you, including your parents are terrible, you've got a terrible family, um, got a pathetic job. They're the things that are erode your confidence the most. Mm -hmm. As I said, women will not identify that clearly, I think, first. When they talk to me and they say, well, you know, he told me I've got fat or, I, you know, and I, and I have lost a lot of weight and I had an illness or I was taking medication. There's no empathy there from mm. their partner and I guess they start to realise that in a way it's not okay. But it's usually, that's the tip of the iceberg. Underneath there's a lot more going on and, um, yeah, they've just got used to that erosion of their self-worth. Mm. Um, so, which is really worrying because that's the thing you need to shift because that's the thing that's going to have the most effect, I think, on you ongoing. Your ability to be able to say, wow, I'm going to apply for that job. I can do it because, you know, I'm doing, I'm okay and I've got a degree and or I've worked in a coffee shop before and I know I got good tips and I can do that. Mm. You're not likely to do that if you're feeling that you're not a worthwhile person at all. Right, that's kind of the double damage, the um, emotional abuse, as you said, it wears you down. Mm -hmm. So then your capability of rejecting those thoughts yeah. and not believing them about yourself yeah. gets 
smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's actually sort of like a brainwashing in a sense for a lot of women because maybe the first few times they heard an insult or were called a name or were told, you know, they're not capable of something, there's a voice inside them going, hang on, no, that's mean, that's not right. But the longer it goes on, the more believable it becomes. Oh, I'm not going to tolerate that. How do you say that to me? That's what we want to hear, right? Yeah, that's right. And that's what you should be saying. But, of course, it's not the case. So I had a call this week from a woman who said to me, I was extremely anxious and upset because I'd gone shopping and I forgot to get his orange juice. So anyone else in a relationship probably would have said, well, bad luck, I'll get it tomorrow, or I'm sorry about that. Yeah. But it caused her extreme anxiety because she knew he would come in and again tell her she's hopeless, she can't even go shopping, she can't even do the right thing, get the right thing, you know I like orange juice. You can imagine. I can hear it. I can hear it happening right now. Yeah, that's right. And that's just an example of every other thing in her day he would find fault with. And it accumulates to the point where you feel incapacitated to be effective in any other part of your life, really. Yeah. Let's talk about another level of abuse that I think a lot of people don't understand and some probably don't even think is real which is economic abuse well you know economic abuse is really important because that is where if you are going to work and you're earning income you're putting the money into either a joint account or his account and from that account he will control or she, you know, in fairness, who and where the money goes. You have no say about it. It just disappears from the account. You may not be given any money to go shopping or you're told that, you know, you've overspent the budget this month so I'm not giving you any money. You just have to make do, okay? Not paying the rent, not paying the mortgage. Gambling could be a result of that, maybe, maybe not. Uh, but it means that you don't have any say over where the money is going or told about how much is coming in or what the problem is with the finances. I guess like in any relationship, we've all had finance issues and you have to sit down with your partner and have that talk about, well, how are we going to manage this month? I've um, got less shifts at the coffee shop. Mm. So how are we going to pay? What bills are we going to prioritise? And that's how most couples, realistically, would manage their finances. And if that's not happening for you, you maybe need to have that conversation and shift that so that you are doing that because you need to be able to understand that you do have a say in your finances um, and where it's going and how you're going to live. And if, if he's not giving you money to, to buy food and necessities, then you need to call us and we can talk about how we could change that or how we could help that situation or what your options are with regards to that relationship and is, that level of control. Is that, the, so control, so is that the most common form that you see is that she may not have a job or her job doesn't bring in as much and he therefore as the quote unquote breadwinner mm -hmm controls the finances and sometimes we'll say well you never had a head for math or you you know this is beyond you or hey I'm making the money so I'm going to control it 
and this doling out of kind of an allowance. That feels very 1950s, 1960s to me. It is very 1950s and 60s. Or you might give an allowance to your 12-year-old. It's very much like that, treated like a child in your own home. And having no say over how your money is spent and what the priorities are in that budget. So... You might want to put a bit of money aside to buy a new frock because you've got a school reunion coming up. Who knows? Something important for you. And that may not fit in his budget, which is paying off the mortgage in six months. I mean, that's probably a great aspiration, but it's not a shared aspiration. And again, it's controlling behaviour that is not considering the welfare of everyone in the family unit, um, which is important, really. Um, and it's, you know, again, it affects women and the choices that they have to make, really prioritising. I guess for me in this area too, it's a big one because women are terrified when they think if they're considering leaving and he's been the primary breadwinner, mm-hmm. how am I going to survive? And they've been told, you will never survive without me because what will you do without me? I've right. got all the money. Right. So the threat. Yeah. It is. And it is. And it's a very real threat for those women. So you need again to have a course and we could have a discussion about, okay, what's happening with your finances? You should go to a financial counsellor and get some more advice about what you can do and what income you can um, access, whether it be through Centrelink or other sources, or even child support or support from the partner. Yeah. We'll loop back to exit planning because you're kind of alluding to that after we get through all of the other levels of abuse because there are many because abuse can take so many different forms. Psychological abuse Mm. and this word gaslighting is kind of thrown around a little bit and I think some people don't quite understand what that means and what it is. What is it to you and what is psychological abuse to you? Because, you know, it feels very dangerous. Yes, it does. I suppose when you say it's psychological, you see it as being of greater damage. Um, And in some respects it is because the perpetrators learn to be able to get you to not believe what's really happening. So it would be the car keys. This is classic car keys disappearing. And they're not just because you've misplaced them, but he's put them somewhere away because he doesn't want you to leave the premises. He wants you to stay at home. So if the car keys are not there, you can't go anywhere, particularly if you're not living on a bus route or train route or, you're, God forbid, you're out in the country and you're isolated. So that makes you doubt your own like, sanity. Where did I put them? What happened? And no. you're saying that's a common occurrence because I think... People in healthy relationships would find that baffling that somebody would do that, would deliberately move something. I mean, it's supposed to be a love partner, right? But and we know it's not healthy, but it is an astounding, brash, bold move. Like, that's power out of control. Like, it is. But it is. But I've had clients who've run who... The, tel- the power's being turned off and he's locked the box in their house. So they've got no electricity for the day when he goes to work. That's the l- and this was in a very luxurious suburb of Sydney, let me tell you. I wow. was astounded when I heard that. Turning off phones, 
you know, cutting off. And they were still in the relationship. It was a high level of control and abuse. So, yeah, it, it does my, my head in sometimes when I hear some of the things that I hear. And as I said to you, Gabrielle, I honestly think sometimes if you're being punched in the nose, you've got a clear idea, you've got a big problem, where clients who are living in a situation where they've turned off the power or not given them a phone or cut off their access to their phone or their car or internet, internet. So during COVID, the number of women who call and say, oh, he's turned off my internet, I have to work from home. What am I going to do, Jenny? How am I going to manage that? Well, luckily for us, we could give women some vouchers to help them maybe pay other things so they could pay for their internet. But they do that, again, it's to punish. And um, it's punitive. It's very punitive, particularly as in COVID, we all had to work from home. And internet, you have to have to be able to work from uh, home. Yeah, I can see it. And I can see that that power script going in the perpetrator's mind if they feel that they've been betrayed in some way or they're angry in some way. They're thinking, oh, you think you're going to be independent? Let me show you how independent you are. And then yanks something away from them that's fundamental so they feel dependent again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, then the idea of independence gets even further away. Yeah, it keeps them there because they feel they really and truly can't be independent and live financially, you know, and be able to provide for their kids. So, yes, it is real and it is difficult. And I guess that's where a service like ours can help as much as we can to get women up on their feet and to float them towards their independence. Because the majority really need that, just a hand up to help them on their way, um, yeah, because they've lost that belief in their the self, really. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to ask a difficult question because um, the second to last level of abuse is physical. Mm. And these are not in any order, uh, mm. by the way, for anyone listening. Nothing is more important than the other. They're all just different forms of abuse. Physical abuse, what do you tend to hear about on the phone? Is there a, an MO kind of by perpetrators? Are they trying? Do they just fully lose control and beat a woman up? Um, it sounds horrible to say that. Or are they kind of crafty and devious about it to not leave a mark so that the police don't believe her? Well, the ones that have been well known to the police probably are more crafty. They know not to leave marks or... Um, yeah, to try and not leave marks. Uh, the thing that I worry about the most and I hear the most is strangulation. So if they're within reach of a woman she and he wants to shut her up, he will strangle her because it's one way when you're gasping for breath, you can't talk anymore. And, of course, it is really one of the most dangerous forms of physical abuse because too much pressure and you're when pipe breaks and you die, you know, from strangulation. And it is quite often that I hear that he's put his hands around my neck and he's squeezed. For women, they will try and fight back and scratch and um, fight as well because you would do mm. that. Mm. Um, and sometimes the response isn't great when it comes to that when women 
do fight back and they need to talk to us if that's happened. Um, but it is very concerning the number of times I hear of attempts or real strangulation um, by the perpetrator against a woman. It's very, and it is a very serious assault, strangulation. Do you think that was always the case and we're just hearing about it more now or is it an increased problem that men are strangling women? No, I think it's probably always been a problem. I think women do report. I think the police ask more now what happened and they recognise that um, it's a very serious crime. I think that you know, maybe it is happening more because they can't punch her in the nose because it's so obvious, a black eye, broken nose, mm. straight away um, in the paddy van and arrested. Mm. Um, maybe with strangulation they might get away with it, you know, unless she discloses it, then you're not going to see it straight away. The marks won't come up to the next day or the day after. So, yeah, I think it probably is more readily is now. You don't need a weapon, you've just got your hands, don't you? It's terrible to say. When women call you, is it likely that they may have experienced this because they've kind of let all the levels maybe go a little bit as tolerated, but then when it gets physical, they pick up the phone? Or do they call because the police have been called out and they've been maybe referred to us? Or are they calling with emotional abuse before it gets physical with an awareness that it could head that way? You know, I think women, I think there is a greater awareness out there with the campaigns that have been run at state and federal levels. So I do speak to more women who, where it's emotional, economic abuse, psychological, than, than um, physical. And there's a reason for that too, because the process is, if the police are being called, those referrals are made to the Women's Domestic Violence Court Assistance Scheme who bring those victims where the police have attended. And we would get those referrals um, if they need further casework, because we're a casework service. So there is a reason for that. I think they're quite surprised, the police and the Women's Court Assistance Scheme, when we get referrals where they haven't gone through the police. And that's because some women do put up with abuse. They choose to ignore it to save their kids, um, which is misguided, really, because the children are therefore witnessing their father's abuse of their mother, and that has devastating effects on the kids' futures and ongoing yes. well-being. Yeah, we're going to do a whole episode yeah. just on that topic because I think you're right. Women stay in part for the kids, the kids. thinking they're doing the right, right thing by the kids with this family unit. Yeah. And maybe that's only on a financial right. level, but for whatever reasons, this cultural script we have of the, you know, quote, nuclear family. Being in the family home. Yeah, you know, all of those stereotypes, the they life. think that is the right and best and yeah. good choice, when in fact, we know now from all the research that the reverse is true. Well, I can tell you from the calls I take, you've got sons or daughters that are adolescents and upwards, the mental health, the drug and alcohol issues, because in the end, they've been in an abusive relationship. And I like to say to mums, 
you can pack your bag and leave. You have that option. They can't. They can't pack their little bags and say, that's it, I've had it with living with dad, you know, abusing you and fighting and going to bed every night scared and fearful and what's the next day going to bring us. They can't. They've got no choices. So sometimes mums have to, you know, be prepared to make that hard decision because particularly when they can see the impact it's having on their kids because they're asking to see counsellors and support workers around their children. Which again, this service has a family support service and we can make those referrals and provide the support for mums who are in that situation. Yeah, and we should say it's almost entirely all free. It is. Yeah, that's right. So free, so with free yeah. help, when do you ever hear that? You and hear family, it if you call us. <laughs> family support groups with childcare. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Because there are a lot of services that provide um, fantastic groups, but not a lot of them have childcare, which means mums can come to the groups and they know their children are being looked after safely pretty much under their noses, really, and mm. if they need to check on them. And they can concentrate on, on doing the groups and empowering themselves and their, themselves and their children. Yeah. yeah. So another myth that leads us to the last level of abuse or the last form of abuse is the idea that once she does leave, free she's free everything's going to be great we're all going to go skipping down the road to a healthy new chapter right away um but that is not actually true because in a lot of cases if we have any of these forms of abuse that we've been talking about then there's the sort of post leaving what we call post separation abuse you and i are both passionate about this area of post-separation abuse. And I find it very frustrating that people don't even equate it with abuse. They just think we get her out and that's what we needed to do. Job well done. Yeah. So talk us through our listeners through what is post-separation abuse? Is it recognized as abuse? What form does it take? Does it ever end? Does it ever end? No, I say to women, if you're in a relationship and you've got children, you know, it's ongoing, weddings, baptisms of grandchildren. It can go on a long time. So establish the ground rules now. Be tough, be firm. The other thing I want to say is, like, women coming into a service where there's accommodation, it, you know, it doesn't just end. It's the highest risk of death and injury is actually leaving a relationship where... Um, there's a serious perpetrator of domestic violence. So service like ours is very cautious and a thorough intake when we take women. So we don't take clients who live next door to us um, mm. because of that risk, because we take the threat um, very seriously. So let's assume she's left and now she's in her own place. We've got her accommodation, her and the children. You know, is everything going to be fine? Yes, she's safe in her accommodation as long as, you know, she has ground rules around who comes and who goes. Um, but he's not going to stop. He's now got a new tool, and it's called the Family Court of Australia, really. Mm -hmm. And how will, you know, I want contact 50% of the time or 60% of the time, and the children are traumatised, they've had a 
terrible time with their father who's never been engaged parenting at all in some cases and now they expect the kids to happily take live with him 50% of the time and for some mums they would rather stay in the abuse than leave and think he's got the kids 50% of the time or 20 or 30% depending on what's been happening so that you know, in the initial consultation with me, I always encourage women to get legal advice early mm -hmm. and know what's ahead. And we have that discussion often and frequent about those decisions, where to, um, what's next, how to handle it, what's the best strategy. So, you know, the abuse can be economic, it can be psychological, it's often ongoing. You know, I mean, I have... I remember a story of a woman who the kids would go to contact with him and she'd send over, you know, we're close to going to grandma's house for dinner, so she wanted them to look good. They'd never come home. The uniforms wouldn't come home. It was not because he was slack at sending them home. He just wanted her to keep buying new clothes and to financially punish her constantly for um, leaving how dare you leave with mm. my kids? Why? How dare you? Mm. So punishment in small ways. But in the end, like when she rang, I was like, okay, go to the salvos, buy your clothes there. They're really good and send them off in that, you know, and keep your good ones at home. Mm. You know, the strategies that were going to mean it didn't cost her money and that she didn't feel stressed and pressured all the time. So, and that, that can be ongoing, financial, emotional, definitely always ongoing. Um, so I wish I could say to women that leaving means everything will get better. It does in some respects. You've got your autonomy. You, you can run in your own race. You have say over where you live and what you do in your job. And you have a lot of say over your kids too. But you, do, you may have a fight in some cases in the family court unless you can agree on what contact might look like that's going to be safe for them and you. Mm. Yeah. This is why I encourage people to call, uh, women to call themselves or refer friends that they might be worried about or family members because you're such a wealth of experience and knowledge. You've heard it just about all before and you've got these practical strategies to say over the phone, to say, well, if he's doing that, then try this, do it this way, send him, send the kids in the salvos clothes, you know, like, that's a good example of, it might make such a huge difference to A, her wallet, but B, her sense of having some say and, and power in the situation. Uh, so that brings us to our last topic, which is exit planning. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that if women can call us earlier rather than later, mm -hmm. they can prepare mm -hmm. and make the decision whether they're leaving or not. Like you said, it's their decision. But if they're leaning towards leaving, what is an exit plan and in general? And what? how long before leaving is the ideal to prepare? Do they need to spend months charting things and journaling or do they just need to haphazardly kind of grab the important documents or photograph things? Like what is, okay. what do they need to do? 
Look, first off, some women have to leave a media lead. So those clients, we support them with clothes and vouchers um, and food because they don't come with money. They probably have no income. So if you have to leave immediately, there is support, we'll provide it. You don't need months of planning. But if you want to leave, and, and women ring and they're ambivalent about what they're going to do. So I start with small advice around what's your situation. You First thing you need to do is get legal advice. And I say that because women tend to think, oh my goodness, if I go and get legal advice, that means I have to act. And it means, you know, I'm, I'm on that road and it's going to cost me money. And I say to that, men always get legal advice. They always plan. They always, you know, have it all planned out and, and move the money and everything's, you know, shipped away so you can't access it. So you should get legal advice. You need to know what your property issues are and also what's going to be in the best interest of your children ongoing and what you're entitled to. You don't have to do anything, but it's a very prudent move to get legal advice as a starting point. If you have financial issues, you might go and see a financial counsel and start looking at how you can organise that preemptively. And that doesn't cost money either. There are plenty no. of free ones through us and through Lifeline. Yeah, and those one-off referrals for lawyers, just to get one-off advice, are more often than not free. Yeah. So, and that's what I want clients to have. I want them to have enough information that they understand their choices. They're not just going blind into the night, so to speak. So the other thing you might do, if you're planning on leaving, you might, and there's businesses, you might get a copy of the records of the business and take them to a friend's or your mother's or somewhere else. You need to... Open a bank accounts. We talked about economic abuse, mm. the number of women that don't have their own bank account where they can have their cunning kit. It's an old Australian term. A cunning kit is like a back pocket money that no one knows about. You need to have a bank account where you start putting a bit of money in there for yourself. Even yeah. if you are staying, you should have money for yourself. You should have reserves there if you need something for an emergency. So open a bank account, don't tell them about it, it's your bank account, it's your bit of money, separate, preferably a different bank to the one you currently bank at, mm -hmm. um, so that you've got that established if you're going to leave. If you haven't done that, we'll help you with that too. As I said, it's part of our caseworker's role to financially get women up on their feet, open bank accounts. Yeah, and these are moves that a, a woman would make because she's in an abusive situation mm. and she's trying to literally plan for her exit. Like I'm listening to you going, none of these things sound good in a healthy relationship. This all sounds very secretive and awful, but that's because their relationship is full of secrets, mm. lies, and awful behavior. Yeah. And if you think that you can't do these things, well, don't. If you leave, we'll help you do them. I mean, going to a bank and opening a bank account for some women is challenging because they feel they don't have the power to be able to do that. So I would not be forcing a woman and saying, you have to do this, you have to do that. I only encourage them to do as much as they can do or they feel confident they can do. And I guess the primary thing is that after talking to me, I say, don't go and talk to your husband about mm -hmm. and say, Jenny said that I'm entitled to this. 
please don't do that because heads up, he's off getting advice and any advantage you've had has been thrown out the window. And I, I know it sounds bad by saying advantage, but we're talking about women who often are behind anyway. Yeah, they're know, so, so disadvantaged already. Right. They've been so stolen from, lied to, manipulated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're trying to boost that and, and put them in a better position. Even if they don't leave, it's staying. If you're staying, having your own bank account is 101 of a relationship, mm -hmm. really. You know, so think about that. Why, and if you haven't got one, think about, well, why don't I? Well, you know, maybe I should establish one so that I've got a bit of money if something happens. You know, and yeah, then, and what are your financial conversations mm -hmm. in your relationship like? Are they tense and awkward and power-driven and angry? Or are they, yeah, maybe stressful because maybe you're carrying debt and money's tight, mm -hmm. but respectful. Yeah. That's a healthy relationship. Yeah. And I don't think couples talk about money enough. enough. No, and it would be a huge issue out there now. We know that, you know, the cost of living in Sydney and in Australia has gone up. Rents are going up. People are struggling. So the financial pressures within every household in Sydney would be massive. So I would encourage you to have those conversations. Um and how you're going to distribute your income fairly and how you might save for the small joys, if you like, that um, keep you going and, you know, keep you feeling positive about your relationship and yourself. Mm. Such wise words. I could talk to you all day, Jenny. Thank you so much. I won't take any more of your time because I'm sure there are women ringing right now who need to talk to you, which is why we say... Call women and children first and ask for Jenny. Oh, thank you, Gabrielle. I really could talk to Jenny all day long. She has such great wisdom and information and advice. But that's been this episode of Voices from the Village, a podcast by Women and Children First. I hope it's been helpful. Until next time.